Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 72 degrees in the Twin Cities. 610 Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Great to be with you. The Twins win again. They are amazing. You know, I just can't wait to get my my little stars aligned to get myself over to Target Field to see a game. It sounds like it's so much fun. And listening to the games on CCO Radio... Awesome. Awesome. I mean, it's so entertaining. If you're stuck in traffic, you can listen to the Twins. It's great. Uh, And also even watching the broadcast when I'm home, it's it's terrific. But uh, really, uh, can it be more exciting and more, uh, you know, I I know that the All-Star break is still a little ways away, but gosh, they look awfully good. It's it's, uh, exciting stuff. And uh, I'm sorry for the for women's softball team. Um, they look so good all season. Uh, they did so well. Uh, it's obviously a, a very tough step up, but they looked amazing. And uh, next year, next year, some of those gals will be back, and I think it's going to be a great thing to follow. So anyway, great to be with you on a Saturday evening. It is such a beautiful night, uh, and it's so nice. I, you know, I just actually left a a really, really nice party for uh, – there There are a whole bunch of people at TV that are retiring. They took a buyout, and it's a lot of people. And it's sad. It's bittersweet because you know that they're getting um, a great opportunity to, to retire a little bit early. Uh, I'll miss them. But it was just so nice to be outside, you know, for a great, nice, wonderful Minnesota get-together, uh, you know, on the porch. And it was just um, – you know, just just sort of a beautiful setting and everybody was there. And I thought, my gosh, you know, I haven't done this since last summer. You know, enjoyed, you know, the people I'm with and just had, you know, something to drink, a little food. Uh, really, really nice. And uh, it's great that we're back in that season. It's wonderful to, to just, you know, be back in it wholeheartedly. Listen, we've got a great show lined up for you. Um, we are going to talk uh, in just a few minutes with Representative Jamie Becker-Finn about a proposal that will provide transportation for child visits to Shakopee Women's Prison. And we're going to talk to uh, Representative Becker Finn about this proposal and and what it means to women that are incarcerated, what it means to families, what it means to the children. And and think of that, um, what it means to them that they can connect with their moms, even though they are incarcerated. And then we're going to talk uh, the second half hour with a legislator who's proposed whose legislation has gotten an enormous response. It was buried in the environment omnibus bill, nine hundred thousand dollars to pay Minnesotans to make their yards be friendly. And we're going to talk to the representative who sponsored that because the Star Tribune did a story on it. I did a story on it over at television and people are going crazy. They can't wait till this money becomes available We'll tell you when it's going to become available. We'll tell you, you know, what are some of the things you could do to your lawn to make it be friendly. It's really cool. Uh, In the 7 o'clock hour, we are going to get a preview 
uh, of the music uh, from the music critic at the Star Tribune, Chris Rimenschneider. Uh, he is talking about the All Access Pass to First Avenue, the new exhibit that opens the Minnesota History Center. He's the guy who literally wrote the book on First Avenue, and it's a really cool book. I'm sure it's still available. I got it for my husband as a Christmas uh, gift, and he just loved it. And this exhibit is supposed to be really, really cool. I've talked to some people who worked with, not dropping names now, but I talked to some musicians who worked with Prince, and they are really excited about it because it offers up just an incredible opportunity uh, to look at, at you know th- this place that is in our backyard that has been the source of so much creativity and continues to be the source of so much creativity. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to chat with my friend, Professor David Schultz, once again. A whole heck of a lot to talk about as uh, impeachment momentum grows in some quarters in Washington in the aftermath of Bob Mueller coming out. Can't wait to talk to David Schultz about that. He is a constitutional law professor in addition to being a political expert. Uh, Like to hear his take on exactly what Bob Mueller said and what Bob Mueller didn't say. Uh, Once again, a very nuanced statement there, but interesting to see what he has to say about it. So let's take a quick break. You are listening to News Talk 830. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Keep it right here, folks. It is 617 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. One of the fun things I got to do this year for my job over at TV is I got to go over and cover the legislature a lot more. And it's really, you know, I think that they get a tough knock over there. They are really just, you know, amazing people that are very dedicated, that really are there. No matter what party they are, they may disagree on policy, but I think they're all there because they really feel that serving in the legislature can make Minnesota a better place. And one of the uh, representatives that I did get to meet uh, as I was working over there this past session is Representative Jamie Becker Finn from Roseville, who is joining us right now to talk about a proposal that will provide transportation for child visits to Shakopee, a women's prison. Uh, and Representative Becker Finn, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, happy to be on with you. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, and you, you are also the assistant majority leader uh, for the DFL caucus in the House. So you are a, a very busy legislator. But let me ask you about this proposal because it's one that I think you have to think about it. And, and when you the more you think about it, the more you realize this could open doors and really help so many people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this what this uh, what this bill would do is it would fund a program that would can provide transportation for children whose moms were incarcerated Actually, four out of five women who are incarcerated at Shakopee are moms. Wow. And so it um, and it also has a literacy component where it's providing books to the children that they can read with their moms. And it really is um, not only is it so meaning would potentially be so meaningful for these children, but it really could disrupt kind of the cycle of um poverty and, you know, some of the disparities that we see, it it could really do a lot towards addressing those issues as well. And how would the actual transportation part work? So there's there's already um, agreements. uh, So there's a nonprofit, the Unprison Project, that um, is is really the driving force behind this legislation. And they uh, they have agreements with with bus companies and those bus companies would, you know, on a regular basis, the, the buses would also be staffed with, you know, people to supervise the children that could also provide kind of some meaningful programming and 
um, connection between the kids uh, while they're on the bus. And so they would, there would be a bus and it would be set days that would be planned out. And so these kids would know that they would get to see their moms on those days. And, and when you think about it, and I think anybody with kids knows how difficult it is to do the transportation piece, you know, just to get kids to one place or another. But but think about this. This this is a family where – and these are still families uh, and these are still children and these are still moms that are separated because they are in prison and one of the goals of prison is rehabilitation. And, and what more – what more inspiring tool could there be to somebody's rehabilitation th- than trying to improve your life for your child? I, I mean, I Ab- can't, I can't think of anything more. Right, absolutely, and and the studies, the studies bring that home. Um, you know, people who are incarcerated, if they have stronger connections to their family and specifically to their children, they tend to do better. Um, you know, as far as recidivism is concerned, you know, as far as going back to prison in the future, they do a lot better um, than folks who are disconnected from their families and their communities. So it really is, um, it's addressing so many issues at the same time. Okay. How did it fare in the legislature? You know, unfortunately, we did not get it funded um, this round. Um, as you know, uh, you know, when you've got you know, one party that has one way of, of funding things and another party who would just as soon not really fund anything, um, you know, the, the targets were not really enough um, with some of the other priorities that, that had to be met. Um, you know, it's it's uh, disappointing because I think the money that would be saved um, by providing this service to families, it would, you know, eventually it would more than pay for itself. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep fighting for it. Um, if there's a supplemental budget next year, we'll definitely be making that ask and um, continuing to bring attention to this issue, which is one of the great reasons, um, you know, I was really excited when you contacted me to talk about this so people right. know how well, important this it, is. It, it, really, it really is, um, you know, and um, I, I'm sorry that I didn't know about it when um, during the session uh, because I would like to have done a story on it, and, and I think in the future I would. So, you know, please – reach out to me because I think I think it is important and I think it's uh, right now is this uh, pr- the unprisoned project mama's bus is that actually able to get some kids they are just just on their own without the legislative funding you know not at not at this point and I and you know that question was brought up when we had a hearing on the bill um, you know so it's it's a nonprofit and Obviously, going to the legislature to ask for funding for things is not the easiest way um, to get something funded. Um, but, you know, the attempts that have been made to, you know, find donors and find other sources just haven't been enough. And kind of the infrastructure of being able to have a reliable, safe bus service and having the staff to do it, it's really it isn't something that you can do piecemeal in a way no. that would be safe for those kids and those families. Right. And then and then also you'd have to have somebody who could screen the applications and you'd have exactly. to it, it and you can't just have um well you could have, you know, maybe 12-year-olds on a, on a bus. I mean the the, logist, the logistics of that is anybody who's had to drive kids around knows it's hard. It's really hard, but I can't think of anything more worthwhile uh, for these people and and I'm sure that there are many people um you know, if you if you don't live near Shakopee or or that part of the Twin Cities, um, and you are incarcerated there, or your parents incarcerated there, it's probably very difficult to get down there. 
or, or up there, depending on where you live. Right. Well, and the other thing that we know is that um, disproportionately Native women are incarcerated, and a lot of those kids and those families are located in our tribal communities. Um, so, you know, they're in... Which are very far away. Very far away. And so you're looking at a family with one parent who doesn't have an income. Um, and so the ability to come up with the money to travel on any kind of regular basis with a child... You know, it's we think of, you know, that people people have to pay their the price for the, the crimes that they commit. Absolutely. But really the children of people who are incarcerated um pay an enormous there's an enormous cost to the children in our state uh when they don't get to have that contact with their moms. I, I I'm a mom myself. I have an eight year old and a four year old and, and we as moms, I mean, you think of the the most terrifying thing is the idea of being separated from your children. Absolutely. And so I think that really um is important for all families, whether there's a parent who's incarcerated or not. Right. And think about it from the child's perspective, to be able to continue that. Uh and, and obviously especially if you're talking about and and I know that, that you um are very active. You yourself um, are Native American and, and have really worked so hard on so many issues. And I want to actually ask you about another issue that, that I, I talked to you about earlier in the legislative session involving the Lake Calhoun, Bidema, Costco. But I do want to ask you, um, is there a lot of support uh, for this measure in, in the tribal communities that you've talked to? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and anything that we can do, again, you know, we talk a lot of, at the legislature about um, our youngest learners and our youngest kids. And we talk a lot about disparities in educational outcomes and health outcomes in job outcomes. And all those things are tied together. And if we stand a chance of kind of disrupting those cycles, we have to address things about what a, a kid's home life is like. And so this, this really has the potential to be kind of a revolutionary project at both helping the moms to reintegrate better once they're out of prison, but also um, being able to make something positive and and help to set kids in a good direction um, so they're not even more impacted by the separation from their parents. And and let me ask you, is there any effort at all made uh, in sort of this vein in in terms of dads who are imprisoned? Because we don't want to forget Um, them as well. Absolutely. And we we talked about that um, at... Uh, at the hearing for the bill. And, and it's one of those things where there's a higher percentage of, of moms, uh, who you know, women who are parents incarcerated. And so this was just kind of a, a starting point. I mean, absolutely. Um, if, you know, we couldn't even get this amount of funding to set up a pilot project at one of the prisons. But I think ideally, um, you would be able to have programs like this at every prison where you have parents who are separated from their kids. And, and Shakopee is the main, I mean, you do have the, the, this incredible concentration of um, of women prisoners there. Obviously, it's only women's prisons. So that would be, I mean, you, you'd, if you could get something going there, it would be remarkable. Right. And and the, um, the staff at Shakopee also are very, um, you know, they have other really great programs that are really unique. And so um, the, it, it's an easy place to start where there's kind of already the framework and the, the frame Very of cool. mind to, to try new things 
so that we have better outcomes there. All right. I do want to ask you, because I know that you were one of the representatives after the court ruling on the Bidet Makaska name, um, when when the court said, no, 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 the the park board, or I'm sorry, the um, uh, park board did not have the authorization to change the name. You actually put forward a, a proposal in the legislature and that you know, to change the name officially to Bidet Makaska, that also didn't get through. Where does all that stand? Yeah, so I had um, amended that, you know, it happened, you know, within 24 hours of when we were debating the environment omnibus bill on the House floor. Um, So we we amended that in. So that was something we could bring to conference committee with us. Um, During the time, you know, while all the conference committee work was happening, uh, Representative Jamie Long introduced a, a bill. He, it, Bidet McCoska is located in his district, right. so he also has a standalone bill. Um, unfortunately, that was one of the issues that um, the Republican Senate just would not discuss. It was kind of a no-go uh, issue for them. Um, you know, we weren't really given any reason for why that is, except that they weren't going to debate having that in whatever the final compromise bill was. Got it. All right. Well, we'll see. That's still winding its way through the courts. The park board's doing various things. Um, a lot going on on that front. Well, listen, Representative Jamie Beckerfin, I hope that you're getting a little more time with your your your, your children <laughs> after yeah, the session. Yeah, we had a soccer tournament in Bloomington. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for your time this evening. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Uh, Representative Jamie Becker-Finn, one of the uh, legislators that – many legislators uh, of both sides that I interviewed uh, working over on the TV side this past session. And it was a lot of fun being over there. All right, folks. And I do want to let you know that on on all of these issues, you heard Representative Jamie Becker-Finn talk about what she sees as as how the Republicans weren't willing to do certain things. Well, I think the Republicans will say the Democrats were willing to do all these things that they didn't agree with. Uh, I will actually be sitting down with – uh, the governor, Governor Tim Walz, tomorrow will be a live guest on WCCO-TV Sunday morning, 1030 a.m. And he's going to be stopping by the station. We'll have him live and talk to him about the legislative session. I know that he feels sort of along the lines of Representative Jamie Becker-Fenn, who was, as I said, the assistant majority leader uh, for the DFL House. Uh, and it'll be interesting to hear what the governor has to say. The governor definitely uh, has some strong opinions about what he would have liked to have gotten out of the legislature, didn't get everything, got some things, uh, has some plans for the next legislative session and certainly for the next uh, biennium session as well. So please tune in. Uh, the governor will be a live guest on WCCO-TV Sunday morning. All right. We are going to take a break. We have got to give you uh, some weather. And then uh, after the weather break, we're going to talk with another state representative who's proposed uh, this this bill actually made it through the legislature and it provides funding so people the state could pay you to make your yard more bee friendly and this story has gotten so much interest i did it on the tv side it's gotten a ton of interest the star tribune did it as well well we're going to talk with the legislator who's proposing this uh, who has proposed this it, it's a law it got passed the governor has signed it He's either signed it or he said he's going to sign it. Uh, And we will um, talk to Representative Kelly Morrison after this break for weather on News Talk 830. Getting paid to make your lawn be friendly. It's a bill that passed in the legislature this past session. It was kind of buried in the Environment Omnibus Funding Bill. 
Uh, this half hour, we're going to talk first with the state representative who authored the bill. And then we're going to take a break to pay some bills. And then we're going to talk with a U of M graduate student who actually works with the bees and can do the science uh, on this. But first, we're going to talk to the state legislator uh, who helped get this through, Representative Carol- Kelly Morrison. Representative Morrison, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. All right. And it's great to talk to you. I know I did this story over at uh, on the TV side you have a very interesting background. Uh, you, first of all, you represent the Deep Haven area, and you also are an OBGYN. That's right, I am. That's well. That's you know. As I said, I haven't. Uh, you know, I've, I've done many. You know, I've done political stories for years, but I've spent more time at the legislature this past session uh, than I have in other years. And I just think it's so fascinating the breadth and and the diversity of the backgrounds of people in our legislature. I think is really interesting. But let me ask you, how? Did you come up with this idea? Because this is this is big. I mean, people are really interested in this. People are really excited about this. I've been getting inquiries from a lot of people in my district, but really from all over the state, honestly. People are concerned about our pollinators and want to get involved. I think it's fantastic. Right. Uh, I, we owe a lot to the chair of um, the Environment and Natural Resources Committee, um, Representative Rick Hansen, for being a champion of pollinators for many years. Um, but I had the privilege of serving on that committee and um, was able to sponsor this bill. Right. And, and so what does the bill do? Because it's not, it's not set up yet, but you did get the funding. Explain what, what the bill does. That's right. So the bill aims to help homeowners transform their lawns into bee-friendly habitats. Um, so there will the the board of um, Bowser, so the board of water and soil um, resources, is going to set up the specifics of the program this summer, and then we're hoping that people will be able to apply for it and put it into motion next spring and summer. Um, and so up to seventy five percent of projects will be covered, and then up to ninety percent in areas where there's a high likelihood that we can find rusty patch bumblebees, which have become endangered and have just recently become our state bee, by the way, again, thanks to Representative Hansen. I didn't know that that was something I missed in, in my TV story. So the rusty patch bumblebee is now the state bee in Minnesota? That's right. This is why you have to listen to News Talk 830. You're going to get all of these <laughs> gems of information. Uh, the, the rusty patch bumblebee, uh, which is endangered, and apparently the Twin Cities – Metro area is one of the few places where it's actually doing pretty well. So we want to increase those numbers. But how do you envision this, um, Representative Morrison? Do you envision that people would, uh, when it's set up, and it won't be set up until probably next spring, is that people would apply for a grant or would they, um, they, you know, buy um, the seeds? You know, it's white clover. It's... um, uh, a creeping wildflowers, yeah. yep, and, nat- and native grasses. So and they'll it- they'll also get advice on w- what the appropriate plants to put uh, in place of their lawns will be. Um, but so the specifics will still need to be hashed out. But if people want to follow along with uh, the development of it, they should go to the Board of Water and Soil Resources website, and they'll keep us updated there for when when the applications become available. Right. And, and what kinds of responses have you gotten uh, and, and what kinds of emails have you gotten? I've gotten just a flood of emails, literally hundreds and hundreds um, of people who are we have a lot of great environmentalists in our state <laughs> um, and people who, you know, recognize that 
important pollinators are and are really concerned about their imminent collapse. You know, a lot of us are have become aware that their numbers have decreased precipitously, and they are crucial in terms of our food source. So if our pollinators go away, our source of food goes away. So we, we really depend on them. So we've got to nurture our little friends. <laughs> and it's $900,000, which in terms of allocations over there, you know, these billions and billions of dollars, May not sound like a lot, but actually it doesn't cost a lot of money. These plants that you're talking about getting seeds for, for all of our our lawns, they're actually relatively inexpensive. That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of people could take advantage of this. That's exactly right. And, you know, you can have a little patch of grass in an urban neighborhood and you can make a difference in terms of protecting pollinators. There's some really interesting new research that shows that actually our urban and suburban areas may be crucial to helping to preserve them. So um, I think there's a real opportunity for a lot of us. And we're hoping, you know, both that this will have real impact on the ground, but also it'll serve as, a, you know, an education for all of us in terms of getting the word out about the importance of pollinators. And hopefully this can become an ongoing program. All right. And we're going to talk a little bit about this with James Wolfen uh, as well, who, who's a grad student at the U of M Bees Lab. Um, you you can still have you can still have the lawn and have a place where you can have a picnic or play catch. It's just a little. It's a little. You just kind of need to change your perspective on what is a really great lawn. And, and for That's some exactly people, right. you know, I think maybe it's it's the the sort of nineteen fifties standard. It's every grade is perfect and it's one inch high and it's just yep. all the same. <laughs> and, and and okay, that's one lawn, but. Just a, a minor shift here with a little white clover here and a little maybe a few dandelions there. That also can be or also uh, some time. It's, it's not called it's creeping time. I can't remember. I'm going to have to ask him because. Um, creeping, creeping Charlie. Creeping Charlie. I don't know if that's it yeah. either. But, but just the things that you might think of as weeds can actually, you know, are, are great for pollinators. And Absolutely. It, you know, and they can be quite beautiful as well, and they're lower maintenance. You don't have to mow them. You the, just let them grow naturally. And, and you know what James also told me? He's going to come on here in just a few minutes. Yeah. The, you want the lawn longer, folks. You, yes. <laughs> it's the long yes. look. The bees like it. So. And don't be afraid of dandelions. Embrace t- the dandelions. <laughs> there you go. Well, listen, um, Representative Kelly Morrison, uh, Dr. Morrison, thank you so much. Um, for for coming on, as I said, we're going to talk to James here in, in just a little bit. And congratulations on the bill, and congratulations, you've got a hit on your hand. Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Esme. Absolutely. All right. Have a good uh, day. So that was Representative Kelly Morrison, who is the person who who backed the bill. Uh, we're going to take a break here, and then we're going to be joined by James Wolfen, uh, who's the grad student at the U of M's B Lab, and the U of M has a lot of wonderful programs in in the sciences. But their ag department and their ag school is just fabulous. But they are – they have some of the, the top B experts and the top B program in the nation. Uh, so they really are national experts over there. And James Wilson is a grad – Wolfen is a grad student who helped, you know, work on this. And he was great because he can kind of explain some of the kinds of things, some of the, the plants and how it's going to work sort of logistically, what the lawn would look like. Uh, and it's really cool. But I think what's so interesting about this is uh, the Star Tribune did a story on this. WCCO-TV did a story on this bill. And the web hits, the number of people who clicked on that story on our website through the roof. Uh, it is 
un, there's an unbelievable interest in in creating these pollinator habitats in our backyards. And I thought what was so interesting is what Representative Morrison said is that you don't really need a giant lawn. You can have like the tiny little space, you know, just out front, just a little bit of grass or a few flowers that can do it. So let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by James Wolfen, who is with the U of M's Bee Lab. And he's going to talk to us more about how you can make your yard bee friendly and how this legislation is going to work. All right, folks, we are talking bees. And as promised, we now have James Wolfen, who is a grad student at the U of M's Bee Lab. James, I talked to you for TV. I told you I'm, you might be getting a call from radio, too. Hey, how's it going? It's great to call in. All right. Well, listen, uh, you were great the other day. Uh, We just had Representative Kelly Morrison on. You actually work with bees. You study bees. And you had some input into this legislation along with other folks at the U of M's Bee Lab. Uh, People, you know, are are maybe thinking, oh, my gosh, my my yard's going to be covered with bees. I won't be able to use my yard again. That's not what you're talking about, is it? No, no. And first to clarify, so me personally, I didn't have input into this legislation, but my advisor, Marla Spivak, she is on that committee who did have a lot of that input. But um, in terms of how these lawns actually function, so the overarching goal of these uh, pollinator-friendly lawns, these bee lawns, is to create a lawn in an area that's useful for both humans and for our pollinators. So we kind of want to find that middle ground where we can still keep it that recreational surface that we all value while still providing some forage for our pollinators. Right. And in terms of, um, you know, what the, what the yard would look like, you and I were talking about this the other day. It's kind of rethinking what's a great lawn. And it's just it's a little tweak, but you can still do many of the things that we've all enjoyed on the lawn, like playing catch or having a picnic. Yeah, that's exactly right. What we really want to do is we want to showcase the power of just a small change and how that can impact your pollinators and kind of the ecosystem from the top down, or rather from the bottom up, I guess. Right. And what are some of the things that um, that can help bring pollinators back? Yeah, so really what we're trying to promote is that no matter how small the area, whether it's in your front lawn or if you have, you know, acres upon acres, if you just add some forage back to that landscape, you're providing important, uh, important forage for the pollinators and the bees all of those important uh, insects that exist within our urban areas. And as these urban areas continue to thrive and grow, it's really important that we have some sources of forage everywhere from our lawns to our gardens to our public parks. And just putting some small, low-growing species in, in with your grass can make such incredible changes. And, you know, you were saying, because I asked you, I said, well, what, you know, I guess there are people probably listening to us, you know, who are saying, well, what if all the pollinators went away? That would make a big difference in terms of what we ate, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would make a really huge difference. So the stat that we love to throw around is that just about one-third of every bite you eat is thanks to pollinators. And really, it's, it's so many of the foods that we really enjoy. So our fruits and vegetables, things like watermelon, tomato, all different kinds of berries, they're really dependent on that bee pollination, whether it's a honeybee or a bumblebee or any of the, you know, nearly 400 different bee species in the state of Minnesota and you know, 20,000 around the world, all those bees contribute to that palate that we really value as consumers. 
And, um, you know, one of the things that you were talking about, and actually Representative Morrison mentioned it, and actually I didn't realize the Rusty Patch Bumblebee is now the official – or is the official bee of Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. We're, that's something that we're really excited about here in the B-Lab. So um, one of my colleagues, her name is Elaine Evans. She was really one of the main promoters of that. And um, just some little background about the Rusty Patch Bumblebee. So we're talking about a species that was once prominent throughout the Midwest, throughout the United States. It was – one of the most common bumblebee species we had in this entire state. And now nationwide, we've seen really dramatic declines in its population numbers. It's, it's the first endangered bee species in the continuous United States. So the, um, the lower 48, I guess you could say. And we want to do what we can to make sure that that species doesn't go extinct. So by making it the state bee, we're really just getting so much great awareness for the bee and its population status. And hopefully land managers will start to make changes to the, the uh, landscape that they interact with in ways that will help support this species. And um, did that happen this past legislative session that it became the state bee? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I believe it's something that just happened within the past few weeks. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I was not aware of that. And the Rusty Patch Bumblebee, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, just looking at the photographs of it, because to me, and I don't mean to... <laughs> sound ignorant here, but a lot of the bees look alike. This one's, if you look at these pictures, though, they really are very different. And this one is sort of, it looks a little chubbier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're not alone. I don't know, I'm not, sh- I'm not fat shaming the bee, but I'm just saying it looks a little <laughs> bit rounder. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a big, you know, kind of plump bee. But so many of the different species of bumblebees, you know, have that similar body shape to them. But what really sets this apart is it has that little tan strip in between its yellow bands on its abdomen. Got it. Okay. And you said that this was the rusty patch is especially good at pollinating um, tomatoes and apples, which we all love. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, um, it's more so specific to bumblebees, but the rusty patch falls into that group. So what's really unique about bumblebees is they can conduct what's called buzz pollination. So some plants, you know, like the tomato, that pollen can be really difficult to dislodge. But bumblebees with their big body and their, you know, really fuzzy long hairs, when they bud, it can release that pollen that's really difficult to dislodge. Okay. And, and so, so that's why you're trying to bring that. And you were also saying, though, that while it is endangered, it actually has a little bit of a stronghold here. Is that right? Yeah. And um, so here in Minnesota, we actually have really strict rules about how we sample to pollinators, or rather here in um, like Hennepin County and kind of in the greater Twin Cities area. And that's because in this location, we've seen um, a lot of sightings and captures of the rusty patch bumblebee. So we want to make sure that that population that we know is still here, we want to make sure that it can grow and thrive rather than risk capturing it or doing some sort of land practices that might uh, create further risk for the species. All right. And again, we're talking about this new bill that passed the legislature that provides $900,000 in funding that uh, really for next year where people will – and you haven't worked out – the details haven't been worked out, but you'll either be able to apply as an individual or maybe get reimbursed uh, for, for you know planting your yard with a little bit of white clover. And does it take does, – does a little bit go a long way? I mean, just a little bit of white clover make a difference on your yard? So firstly, every time I hear that $900,000 number, my heart still flutters. But uh, moving on from that, yeah, it it really is incredible just how much of a difference a small investment can make. So here I'm just talking financially. So when I look at different seed providers 
White clover is so easy to produce where a pound of seed for Dutch white clover is just around $7. And that much seed can cover, you know, we're talking about acres of land. Wow. So, so yeah, exactly. So here in an urban or suburban community, just here in the Twin Cities, a small investment, you plant it and, you know, watch it grow. If you really take the time to watch the diversity of pollinators that use that species, through my research, we've documented that 55 different bee species will use Dutch white clover. Here so here in Minnesota? Are, so, so even more restricted range. So just in, um, in Minneapolis Park, that's, that's, that's uh, where I restricted my sampling to. And we saw 55 bee species on Dutch white clover alone. So in Minneapolis that, Parks, uh, wow. Yeah, in Minneapolis Parks, correct. So right. to put that number into context, that's nearly 20% of the entire state's bees. And we're only sampling in such a small area on just one floral species. So it really speaks to the magnitude of, you know, a small change, a small investment, just making such monumental impact. Okay. I'm sure there are people out there going, well, I'd love to help save the bees, but I don't want my kids or my uh, pets to get stung. And you have an anecdote there saying uh, you have not been stung very much at all, despite all the years that you worked with bees. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the great things about doing this research is there's really no greater advocate for a bee lawn than me because no one spent more time in these lawns. So in the three or so years I've been working in these lawns, you know, walking through these plantings for hours upon hours a day, I've really only been stung twice. And once was up with my own fault because a bee got stuck in my shoe, and I really can't blame her on that one. And I love the way you you refer to bees as female bees. Are there... I, I suppose this is really a, a dumb question. Are there female be- bees and male bees? There probably have to be. Yes. Yeah, so there are female bees and male bees, but it does get a little interesting where sometimes the male bees are a little bit less active. That's especially true in the case of honeybees. So most of the bees that we will capture are generally female bees, but we still do see some males out foraging from time to time. Right. And I don't know how we all miss the memo that the rusty patch bumblebee is now the state bee of Minnesota. I mean, we're, I feel like I've got to do a separate story on that. Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah. And um, I mentioned her before, but Elaine Evans, she's um, a postdoc in our lab. She's just been doing such great research, really with all bumblebees, but she's been such a great outspoken advocate for this species because it's so important to kind of, you know, make sure that no species goes forgotten. We want to make sure that this species can rebound and we, it doesn't get, you know, lost within the greater diversity of Minnesota bees. Okay, now I just had a brainstorm here. Okay, mm-hmm. well, can you put white clover near ivy? In your ivy? Yes, because I'm just thinking Target Field has a new wall of ivy. Huh, so... I'm trying, to combine, I'm trying to combine two, like, winning things here, bees and the twins. The twins are winning right now. That's, yes. That's really a source of happiness for so many Minnesotans uh, this spring so far. But um, these seeds and most flower seeds, they need to make contact with the uh, with the ground surface. Oh, the okay. So it's not quite a, uh, a, a a great spot there. But who knows? Maybe we can convince them to plant them in uh, in the foul territory or something. There you go. Okay. All right. Just 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 thinking about that. That could be like you know one of the twins' causes helping to bring back the rusty patch bumblebee. Um, anyway, hey, thank. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, Minnesota is already one of the great states in terms of advocating for bees. Why not the twins? Absolutely. Well, you know, and and, and you want to attach yourself, the bees want to attach yourself to a winner, so why not the <laughs> twins? I mean, they're doing pretty well right now. All right, listen, James, thank you so much. We appreciate it. 
Hey, it was so great to be on, and thank you for taking the time to cover this story. Absolutely. All right. Again, folks, the Rusty Patch Bumblebee is uh, the new state bee, in case you were not aware that there was a state bee, and I didn't even know there was a state bee. I did a story on it. All right, coming up, we are going to talk to the person who actually wrote the book on First Avenue. He literally wrote the book on it, and he is going to talk about the new uh, history exhibit at the Minnesota History Center. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.